How many of you have ever done a home renovation project? <clears throat> How did that go for you? Pretty good. Pretty good if you hired the professionals, right? Um, we. It's interesting to see how different personalities approach home renovation projects, I think. <clears throat> Here's the mantra I grew up with in my own household. Here's what I experienced my dad and my, my parents doing regarding home renovations. Here was the general mentality that they brought to home renovations. We will not pay someone to do a job we can do ourselves, right? <clears throat> Frugal parents. Frugal is maybe not the right word for it. <clears throat> my dad was a handy guy. He knew enough about cars to never take ours to the mechanic. He knew enough about plumbing and general construction. He knew enough about how electrical works to, to never have to, you know, hire someone else to do the jobs that he could do himself. And so he always held on to this very important mantra that with enough time, enough tenacity, that everything is figure outable. And guys, this is before the age of YouTube. Like he didn't have YouTube videos to tell him how to do any of this stuff. And lucky for Emily, <clears throat> I brought this same mentality into our marriage. <laughs> and it's worked out so well for us over the years. <laughs> under, under, over the last 18 years of our marriage, we have undertaken a lot of home renovation projects. Everywhere from painting rooms to complete bathroom gut jobs, we've completely flipped the interior of our home over the last five years. And lucky for us, I have saved us tens of thousands of dollars by doing it myself. Because... Why pay somebody else to do a job that I can do myself, fam? You don't want me to <laughs> <laughs> I said the wall was broken down. There, there, are a few, there are a few problems that we've discovered over the years with this. Um, first, I'm not my dad. <clears throat> he lives far away. I don't have his skill sets. I don't have his knowledge base. My results have been much different than his results have been. Second, I don't have the tools. I don't have the tools that he has. I remember attempting, I remember the first time I attempted to change the brakes on our van, our minivan. This is like four years ago. I was like, you know, I'm fine. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm manning up. I'm going to change my own brakes on my own car. And I got up my, my socket set and I, they didn't even provide enough torque to take the wheel off the car. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to lower it back down. I'm going to send it to the shop, right? Cause that's what, that's what we do. Lastly, my dad didn't have any aesthetic concerns. Here, here's what he would always say, Ross, purpose over pretty. Purpose over pretty. As long as it functions, it's good enough. As long as it works, it doesn't matter what it looks like. <clears throat> and beyond what I inherited my father, I, I bring my own personality into renovation projects. <clears throat> I am an Enneagram 7. Is anybody familiar with what an Enneagram 7 is? Enneagram in general, any Enneagram fans, friends, <clears throat> fans out there? I love to start things. I hate to finish things. <laughs> because I love the big picture and I get so bored with the details and so I rush into starting projects. I start demoing and building so that, you know, I, I can, I can get to the fun part and I, I neglect to prep spaces because that's boring and who cares, right? Just like, I just want to start demoing things. I don't want to prep the space. I just want to start painting. I don't care about putting drop cloths down. I just want to get the project done. I don't cover furniture to protect it from dust. That's boring, right? I don't clear the space because that's boring. And on the other end, the projects rarely get done <clears throat> in our house. They're finished to the point of functioning, but the trim work and the caulking and the sanding and the smoothing, bleh, that's so boring. Like, I don't want to do that part, and so I just don't do it. 
All the little details that make your project finished, blah, boring. Putting the tools away, blah, boring, right? So what do we have? Do we have piles of tools just sitting around our house from, yeah, okay. Right, the kids are fine. They'll be fine. <clears throat> Here, here's a second flaw of my personality that I bring into home renovation projects. I, I know just enough to get, to get myself in trouble. Anybody else out there with me? I know just enough about construction and repair to get myself in trouble. On several occasions, I've had to call friends who actually know what they're doing to rescue me from situations I've gotten myself into. On more than one occasion, I found myself crying because of the position I have found myself in regarding home renovation project. And I'm not a crier. And on one occasion, I had to take myself to the hospital because of an instance <clears throat> that happened around a home renovation project. <laughs> and was there. She came. They weren't treating me very well at St. Mary's, by the way. So, <clears throat> But she came and gave me a blanket. Very kind of her. Thank you, Ann. Yes. I could keep on going and going and going about the flaws that I bring into home rental projects. But let me just say this to end. I'm not a professional. And so the jobs I've done are amateur. And if you look closely enough, you can tell that they're amateur jobs. One time I ran out of planks in our, I don't know if Emily knows this, one time I ran out of planks in our, in our bathroom floor. It was in the closet, and I'm like, what do you do if you run out of planks? Do you go, do you go to the store and buy a whole other box of flooring? No. You just you glue the extra pieces you have together, and you just put it in the closet. <laughs> she can, I'll, I'll show where it is yet later. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, I use dull blades, which leave tattered edges on wood that's exposed. <clears throat> Some of you are just like, I can't believe this guy. Just like, uh, my deck has, if you look closely, has a couple of waves in it because the, the, the beams are just slightly not level with one another. I put a transition piece um, between our rooms when I laid our flooring down because when I came around a corner, our planks didn't match up with each other. And so what do you do? Well, you just put a, you put a T-beam there, you know, like it's move on, right? When I installed our shower, I had about a half inch of silicon between the door and the wall because the shower didn't match up with the wall because I'm an amateur and I don't know what I'm doing, but I saved us. <clears throat> well, well, we'll come back to that in a later, in a later series, but... I could go on and on and on about how mediocre my home renovations are. In fact, I, I started a company called Mediocre Home Renovation Company because, <laughs> because I think there are people out there who would pay $5,000 for a brand new functioning, decent looking bathroom rather than $20,000. I think there are people out there that would do that. So give me a call if you want. <laughs> Mediocre Home Renovations to come and help you with your house. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> This summer, we embarked on a, on a major home renovation, and Emily said, no way are you lifting a finger on this job. It is too significant. It was basically the whole main level of our floor involved our kitchen. She said, you are not doing anything in regards to this. We are going to call the professionals. And the experience of calling the professionals in was life-changing. <laughs> right? I am humble enough to admit that, right? So that's, that's important. Going through the process of preparing them, to arrive and watching them work and seeing the final product, we witness so many spiritual applications and metaphors in the process. And so over the next three weeks, four including today, during the series Renovations, we're going to be discussing some of what we've learned throughout the renovation process, and we're going to apply it with our walk with God. There's going to be a lot of renovation analogies. And so if you don't like HGTV, I'm sorry, okay? It's just, it's going to be a lot of that kind of thing. The first thing that is required for a renovation project is a vision of what could be. 
When we first walked into our house five years ago, we did not love the house. But we could see through everything we disliked about it and everything we saw as a hindrance. We could see through that all to what could be, to the vision of what could be. There were some very, very significant issues with the house that would in time eventually need to be dealt with, and I'll get back to that in just a second. But despite all of the things that we felt were hindrances to the house, we could see through them all to what could be. And here's the thing, as God looks at every single one of us, he looks at the chaos in our heart and our mind and our soul. He looks at all our anxiety, all of our insecurities, all the pain that we wrestle with, all the ways we've hurt each other, all the ways that those people have hurt us, all the things that we wrestle with. He can see through all of that to a vision of what could be. And sometimes we can't even see through that ourselves, but we need to trust that God is looking past all of that and through all of that to what could be. And we need to develop a vision for ourselves and want that vision for ourselves as we tap into what God desires for each and every single one of us. God has a vision for all of us. We know in the very beginning that God created man and woman in his image. And this isn't that we look like God, but that we were made to house the spirit of God. We were made to bear the essence of God, to be like God, to reflect God, to live as God lives and to be fueled by his love. And we know that we believe that Jesus is the image of God. As Paul wrote to the Colossians, he is God incarnate. He is God made flesh. He lived as we were all intended to live. He is the vision that God had for every single one of us, the life he lived, the love that he shared is God's vision for every single one of us. Paul wrote to the Romans that conformity into the image of his son was God's idea for the human person. This, this last verse is, is riddled with you know, theological mystery and there's a lot of debate about what it means, but really fundamentally all it's saying is that from the very beginning, God idea, God's idea, God's vision for the human person was that we would look like Jesus. And so let me just reemphasize that we have these studies Starting points and story about a story starting. And these are the most clearest discipleship pathway to becoming like Jesus here at Restoration Church. And so I would really, really strongly encourage you all to get into a closed-end group that is going to help you become like Jesus. This is God's vision for every single one of us. Now, I had mentioned that we had one significant issue, at least one significant issue, as we entered into our house five years ago. And that issue was that the foundation was actually sinking into the middle of our house. And we noticed this immediately when you, if, if you have ever been to our house, you might, at least previously, you would have known that you could feel as you walked around our floor, you could feel the ups and the downs as you would walk around our house. And the reason it was discovered was because when our house was built back in 1977, they neglected to pour a footer underneath this, you can go to the next slide, underneath this weight-bearing wall. This weight-bearing wall in the middle of our house did not have a footer underneath it, and so it was collapsing into the very high water table that is underneath our house. And if you have a bad foundation, the whole house is going to feel it. The whole house is going to know it. Cracks in the ceiling, cracks in the walls, uneven floors. You will feel the foundation if it is a bad foundation. A crooked and cracked house is caused by a crooked and cracked foundation. And so in order to remedy this, they put up these these fake walls, right, to hold up the house as they dug underneath. They got the jackhammer out. They drilled underneath our house. They dug it up. They poured 55 bags of concrete into a three-foot hole that they dug. 
And then they poured an additional 58 bags of leveler throughout the house to create a flat floor. Doing a major renovation on top of a bad foundation would not solve the ultimate issue. You guys get that. If we just like slapped, you know, if we're just, and, and this is something we debated, like you could just leave it how it is, right? It, it seemed like it had settled, but the cracks would keep appearing and the house would still be crooked and the floor would not be level. It might look pretty on the outside, but it would ultimately just be a band-aid and a temporary solution. They said you could either fix it right now for $3,000 or you could wait maybe another 10, 20 years down the line and pay fifteen dollars to $20,000 to get it done. Eventually, it's going to have to be taken care of. So when do you want to do it? Eventually, your foundation is going to reveal that your house is sinking and it is cracked and it is crooked and it is broken. If your foundation is off, the rest of the house is also off. And what concerns me is that too many Christians have tried to build their faith and renovate their lives without first dealing with a cracked and crooked foundation. We come to Jesus and we let him deal with the cosmetic issues of life. We, we give him a little bit of our time, a little bit of our money, a little bit of our energy, a little bit of our volunteerism. We show up to church every now and then. We say a few prayers. We sign up for a team. We read the Bible. Sometimes, and, and on the one hand, we think, you know, I've done enough. Isn't this just Christianity in America? This is what all my Christian friends are doing. This is how they're living their life. Nothing special, nothing, nothing extraordinary, just a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, a little bit of money. That's it. Isn't that all God is really requiring of me? Isn't that all God is really asking of me? But on the other hand, I think all these, all these people are wondering, walking around wondering, where is the freedom that is promised with Christ? You know, where's the hope that is promised with Christ? Where's the life change? Where's the transformation? Where's the peace in my household that's promised with Christ? Where, where is the power to live differently towards people? Where's the purpose that I thought I'd discover? Here's the thing. All, all we're doing when we, when we come to Jesus and just offer him, uh, you know, a, a few tokens of religion is is spackling over a few cracks in the wall. It's just fixing a few cracks in the ceiling. It's putting a fresh coat of paint on the walls. It's changing the floors. But none of these things are, none of these cosmetic fixes are, are, are going to fix the foundation, the foundational problem that every single one of us have. And yet that is what too many Christians want out of Jesus. You can either come to Jesus and ask him to merely fix a few cosmetic issues, fix a few leaky pipes, a fresh coat of paint, but leave your cracked and crooked foundation the way it is, leave it alone, and then you will keep living a cracked and crooked life. A life that is ultimately hopeless, a life that is ultimately full of pain and chaos in your households and anger, impatience towards your kids. Or you can approach Jesus and you say, Jesus, I need you to fix the foundation. And yeah, you're going to have to dig it up. You're going to have to get the jackhammer out. You're going to have to do some destruction here to get underneath it and to fix it up. But I cannot keep living this way. And there's a desperation that needs to happen, friends. You need to get to the end of yourselves. My phone of all, really? The Red Cross. They want my blood. <clears throat> I feel like that was a really important point I was trying to make too, right? You have a foundation that is cracked and crooked. And if you do not come to Jesus with desperation and say, Jesus, I need you because I cannot do this on my own. I recognize that my life is going sideways, that my life is crooked and it is cracked and it is broken. And I need you to be the healer and the fixer of it. All he will ever be to you is a cosmetic fix. All he ever will be to you is just a legend. All he'll ever be to you is a nice guy. 
He will not be your savior. He will not redeem you. He will not restore you. It'll take some time. It may be painful. But if you come to him saying, Jesus, I cannot keep living in the mess that is my life. I need a new foundation for you to build on. Because I recognize my life is a mess. Come on, we're Americans here. We're in, we're in middle-class suburbia, right? None of our lives are that bad. Here's what Paul, a follower of Jesus in the first century and author of half of the New Testament, said about his own experience upon this planet. He said, this is a trustworthy saying, and so it deserves full acceptance. What I'm about to tell you is absolutely true, so do not dismiss it. What I'm about to tell you is absolutely true, so do not deny this. This is a trustworthy saying. You must own this and claim this and believe this. Hold on to this truth. When you start thinking about that foundation isn't as bad as it seems, think about this truth. Jesus Christ came into the world to save the good people. Jesus Christ came into the world to save those who have it all together, the people that deserve it, the religious people, the people that think their foundations are just fine. No, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And by the way, friends, I am the worst of all of the sinners. And only those who own and admit and confess and believe how completely messed up their salvation is, their, their foundation is, sorry, their foundation is how deeply their sin has infiltrated their lives and how sin is messing everything up. Only those people who can admit that fundamental truth and acknowledge and confess that fundamental truth can experience the transformation of Jesus. Paul said, I am the worst of all sinners. This is true of me. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not trying to convince myself that I'm better than I am. I'm not going to give myself a false diagnosis. No, I am an undeserving sinner through and through and through. I am a sinner. I am actually the worst of everybody. And we think, no, 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 Paul, you're not the worst of everyone. Come on. You're a good guy, Paul. Yeah, yeah, you did some bad things, Paul. Yeah, you drug some Christians along and you stoned them to death. Yeah, you imprisoned some Christians. Yeah, you tried to stamp out Christianity from the face of the earth. But come on. You, you weren't dragging Christians, you know, into the arena and throwing them to lions. You know, you, you weren't dousing them in oil and lighting them on fire so that the arena games could go on to the night. You know, you, you weren't a dictator who took six million Jews and incinerated them. Come on, Paul, you're not that bad of a guy. You've done some bad things, sure, but you're not that bad of a guy. If we were to line up all the people in the world according to the severity of their sin, you would be nowhere near the front of that line. And Paul would say, no, that's not true. I am the chief of all sinners. I am at the front of the line. My foundation is worse than anybody's. My foundation in my heart, in my soul, in my mind, the foundation of my life is worse than anybody's. And Paul didn't mean this literally, of course. He, he knew that God looked on everyone, right? The, the Mother Teresa's and the Hitler's alike. And, and yeah, we're all screwed up. And we're all lost. And we're all condemned. And nobody has a secure foundation. And Paul is simply saying that this is the posture that we all must take. This is, this is it. This is the posture we need to take. This is the position we all must confess and believe we are in. This is what we all must believe about ourselves. I and the chief of all sinners. Not you. And all the things that you've done, no, me, the pastor, I. This is the position I take. This is the posture I take. I am the chief of all sinners. 
And God's grace and love, you know, they're not actually on sliding scales, but we perceive that they are. Do you guys recognize this? The more we recognize our need for grace, the more beautiful grace is going to become to you. Like the more we recognize how sinful we are, the more that joy is going to explode in us because we recognize how far God has come to get us and to rescue us. And, and if my life is a celebration of God's grace, then if, if I'm convinced that my sin isn't very deep and I'm not as bad as I actually am, then God's grace is always going to be shallow and God's grace is always going to be insignificant. And God hasn't had to do a whole lot to save me because there's really not much that I need saving from. I'm a good person. My sin is shallow, and so you know what? God's grace is also shallow. And if God's grace is shallow, then really what's there to thank him for? And if God's grace is shallow, then really what is there to to celebrate? But the real tragedy is, I think, that when we don't recognize our deep-seated need for grace and love and mercy and forgiveness, we have no well to draw from when others are in need of it. And graceless relationships will always be broken, and loveless relationships will always be selfish, and faithless relationships will always walk on eggshells, and relationships that can't be forgiven will always be full of regret and anger. But this posture that Paul takes will reorient our relationships. So in every situation, I want you to consider this posture. In every relationship, in every situation you encounter, I want you to consider this posture. As you approach all people, consider this posture. I am the greater of the two sinners. Whenever you approach your spouse, whenever you approach your kids, whenever you approach your enemy, I am the greater sinner. Not you, not them. I am the worst. I know what you're thinking. Ross, you don't know what they did. You you don't know how he's hurt me. You don't know what he said. Ross, he's such a horrible person. She never, he always. And that's true, I don't know. I don't know about every single situation you find yourself in. I don't know the extent of the relationship hurt that you've endured. I don't get it. I don't know, I wasn't there, right? You get it. But I also want you to remember that you are no saint either. And if you take up a posture that you are the worst, that you are further back in line than the person in front of you, that you are the chief sinner, that you're the sinner, and everybody else, no matter what they've done or what they've said, is behind you in line, you will recognize that even you, the chief of all sinners, has been met with grace. Even you, the chief of all sinners, have been loved dearly, and you have been met with mercy by your Heavenly Father, and you will find the strength to address them then with grace and mercy and kindness. See, Paul knew that this immense love was not meant for him alone, but that as he received it, It was meant to overflow on others. He continues. But for that very reason, I was shown, right? God saving the worst of us. That's the reason, right? God, God, God saving the chief of all sinners, me. I was shown mercy, the worst of all sinners, so that in me, the worst of all sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I know that this kind of feels topsy-turvy. I know that it feels backwards and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Paul is saying that as God loved me, the worst among us, that I would begin to love others the same way that he has loved me. And that my love would function then as an example for God's love so that all of the world might be drawn then into the life of God. 
See, we need to learn to treat others the same way that God through Jesus has treated us, to love others the same way that God through Jesus has loved us, and to forgive others the same way that God through Jesus has forgiven us. This is what makes the gospel so unique, friends. God did not look upon a world that had rejected him and slandered his name and cursed his character and belittled his purposes and and abandoned his law and say, you know what? Screw you guys. You know, I don't need to take this. All I've ever done is love you guys and you keep hurting me and you keep abandoning me. You know what? Screw you guys. I'm done with you. That's not what God said. Lucky for us, right? He didn't say, good luck figuring out yourself. Yeah, I've tried. You know, I've done enough. You know what? Good luck for the rest of it. Try to get to me on your own. He did not look upon a world that was broken from having rejected him and say, you know, why don't you just try some religion? Why don't you just try working harder? Why don't you just try being better people? No, friends, he looked upon a world that was hurting and damaged and broken and willfully chose to draw near. He took on human flesh and he became one of us. John writes in his first letter, in his first gospel, in his only gospel. It was while we were still sinners, still rejecting and abusing and slandering and hurting him and one another, that this baby named Emmanuel, because his name, God, was present with humanity, this baby Jesus, because he would take away the sin of the world, was introduced into the world. And he was introduced into the world to grow and to live and to die in order that God's love would be displayed and proven to the world who was still transgressors and who was still sinners. Not because we worked and tried and became good people, but because God's grace is freely given to those who accepted by faith. My friends, this is the gospel. And this is God's rescue plan for a world that cries out for rescue. For those that recognize and believe that their own foundation is faulty and cracked and they cannot save themselves, and if the foundation is cracked and crooked, then their entire lives are going to remain cracked and crooked. And for those who are recognizing the mess that their life is in, recognize how flawed they are and how deep the sin goes and how shattered their foundation actually is, cry out to God, then the professional, the professional will come in with his tools and his knowledge and he will dig up your foundation. And he will make you new. I'm going to invite the band forward. We're going to sing one final song as we conclude our time together this morning. Paul said in a prayer to the Ephesians, he he wrote this in a prayer to the Ephesians. And this was his hope, I think, for them. It was our, it's, it's his hope for us that the foundation that we recognize is so deeply broken and so deeply messed up, could only be mended by the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ, and that he asked that all of us would then come close to God, humbly admitting our brokenness, and in faith and in trust, crying out to God that we might be healed. He says this, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, right, that we would have a foundation, a foundation of love, and not our love, he's going to get to that in a minute, but God's love for us that we would have power together with all of the saints, that the whole community who recognizes this would come together with incredible power to do the will of God within their world and in their community. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what I hope that you can grasp. Here's what I hope you you can cling to in these moments, right? When you recognize that your house, that your foundation is cracked and broken and that your life then is cracked and broken because your foundation is cracked and broken, that we would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge.
to know something that surpasses the ability to be known, that we would enter into a lifelong exploration of God's love for us, even though we are deeply broken, even though our foundations are so flawed that it has skewed the rest of our lives, that we would know how deeply loved we are, my friends. We are so oftentimes our, our own worst enemy, aren't we? We, loving ourselves, believing that we are loved is oftentimes the, the, the hardest, hardest thing to believe and to know. But, but Paul just prays and prays and prays. And this is my prayer for you too, Restoration Church, that you would know how wide and deep and high and long is the love of Christ for you. That even though your foundation was so broken and so skewed and so cracked that he came into this world, that we might be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. That through our ability to know this, that we would never stop exploring. Uh, to, to know that which is, surpasses knowledge, that we would never stop exploring the love of God for us. So that we might be filled with God. That we might reclaim God's vision for each and every one of us. I'm going to say a prayer for us. If you have never known Christ or accepted Christ or believed that you were a sinner with a very, very broken foundation, that is the first place that you must start. You need to acknowledge it and believe it and, and accept it as true. But do not just stop there because God in his love for you came to put you back together, not to judge you, not to condemn you, not to shun you and to shame you, but to put you back together. And as we explore that love more and more and more and more and more, that love that is unknowable to its full extent, that we might be full, that we might regain our purpose and God's vision for us. Heavenly Father, on behalf of this community, I just want to acknowledge that I am a sinner. I am the worst of all sinners, and we can all fight over who's the worst of all sinners later. But for now, Father, I am the worst of all sinners. And I need to take on that posture. I need to recognize how deep my sin goes, Father. But not just to stop there, I want to celebrate the grace of God that has come down into that infinitely deep pit and, deep pit and pulled me out. Celebrate the love by which you have loved me, Father, that came into the fullness of my sin, the, the foundation of my life that was shattered before you, Father, and piece by piece you put it back together. You're, you're renovating me, Father. I'm in, I'm in this process. I'm not complete. I'm still growing. I'm still chasing after your love. But you're doing it, Father, and you are doing the work. It's not my own abilities. I don't have the skill set, Father. You're the professional. My jobs are sloppy. When I try to put myself back together, it's sloppy. It's amateur. It's mediocre. I can't do it, Father. I cannot do it, but you're the professional, Father. You come into my life. You put me back together, and I just, I invite you into that right now. I invite you to heal me, Father. I, I invite you. I call out. I recognize how deeply flawed I am, and I want you to heal me. I need you to heal me. I am desperate for you this morning. Build my life upon your love. This foundation, Father, your, your love. I will trust in you and you alone. In the name of Jesus, for all that he has accomplished on our behalf, we pray. Amen. Hey, if, if you've... If you've just beginning your journey with Christ today. We are so excited. We want to chat with you. We want to help you on this journey. Again, Starting Point is a great place to start, but we also have a Bible for you as a gift for you. It's got a reading plan in it. It's got some notes in it. If you need a Bible and you're starting your journey with Christ, come and see us after the service in the back. We'd love to get that Bible into your hands and help you on this journey.